0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I I went to the Dodgers game last night. It was my first game of the uh, season, and uh, me and the lovely Joanne and my friend Joff went. And it was we we took the uh, public transportation, which was really cool. We we went to North Hollywood. We took the train to the downtown Union Union Station, and they have a Dodger Express, and it's free, and it's such a good deal because you don't deal with traffic. And we went to the game. And Joanne's not a really big baseball fan. I love baseball. But I said, you're going to see something special because Clayton Kershaw pitched. And I'm going to tell you something, people. If you are or not a baseball fan, it doesn't make a difference. If you just like the game a little bit, if you ever see this guy pitching on TV or you get a chance to see him in your uh, city, go. Because the guy is amazing. He's a skinny little guy who looks Amish. And I swear to God, watching him against these other pro players, it's like watching a 17-year-old against Little Leaguers. So go check that out. So anyway, we have a good show today. Uh, It's very. I went to this uh, young lady, woman, whatever. Uh, Her, uh, she had a uh, uh, launch party, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her career, and uh, it's Jeanette Rizzi. How you doing, Jeanette?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah. I got to say, the the Soho House was fancy, huh? yeah. I mean, we went in, and, and <laughs> we were
1: so cool in there. How
0: did you? How did you hook that up? Did you know someone? I heard no, it's members only. Or? No,
1: it is members only. But I was googling screenings. I just typed in screenings LA, and that was the first thing that came up. And then a few other places did. And I called, and they just told me what the rates were. And I was like, well, okay, I'll save for that. And then because um, it was really pretty inside, and uh, yeah, so um, you can rent the screening room without being a member. So that's what we did.
0: No, because it was beautiful because the last time I was been in a screening room is when I first moved out here I waited tables at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills okay. and they had a screening room and every once in a while you know, that we would go in to watch movies and celebrities were always coming in it probably happens at the Soho house oh, too oh sure but it's just cool but that was just nice the velvet chairs it was just really comfortable you know we had a little beer and a little wine And it was, yeah you know.
1: it was pretty nice and, and I was thinking those front ones you could lay down on did you see yeah you know what's funny <laughs> Sal, Sal was
0: trying to get people to sit up front uh-huh. but I have a problem and so does Joanne, with um, sitting up front in a movie. Uh-huh. But yours would have been fine because it was only the preview, it was a trailer, and right. it wasn't up high. But I know if I go to a movie, I sit there, and i if you sit up front, like your neck feels craned.
1: Right, and you feel that they're right in your face. But for me, being the person on stage, it, it was better that those were empty because you're, you, you're talking about such a sensitive subject, and they're right. Like right in your face. So I didn't mind that the people were back a little bit.
0: Now, i got to ask you, you, know, you, you, you've gone into this comedy, you know, and this is all, the whole process, uh-huh. you know, the one-person show and right. stuff like that. But, you know, and a few times you've talked before, you... um you come from like a little podunk town in Florida, right? I do.
1: Yeah, a very small town called Alachua, Florida.
0: Now, how many people live there? Is it a lot of people or what? What's I don't up know. With it's that?
1: getting bigger now, but I, I don't know how many people live there. But to give you an idea, two towns had one high school and my senior class had 198 people in it. So it's, that's two towns combined. That's Alachua and High Springs. So you're talking tiny, tiny. Yeah, cause
0: I, I went to I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and we had two high schools in our town. Okay. And my graduating class was 840.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's more than that was in the whole high school.
0: So you are growing up in that town. Now is it is it sort of backwards? I mean, and honestly, was it so? It's very. It's it's just the typical southern town, or
1: it is very southern. I um I was you know the, my my mother and father moved from New York down to um to live. My father was a monk and my mother was a nun, and my dad wanted to be like Saint Francis, so he wanted a farm.
0: Well, I, I got to ask. Okay,
1: <laughs> see that's
0: what that, that's well, you're how we ended
1: that. up in Alachua.
0: <laughs> but but okay, so your father was a monk. Yes. Okay, but when he got married, he wasn't a monk anymore, no, was he? No, no,
1: no. He had he, he had left at that when he met my mom.
0: How does one become a monk? Do you know? Did you ever talk to him? Like we like went in what? the
1: monastery when he was young, and then then they just became. I don't know the exact process, but I know he went in when he was about thirteen and stayed for quite a while.
0: And then your mom was a nun. She
1: was a nun, and me.
0: then. She, Five years. And then she said, The hell with this? Yeah,
1: my mom, it's pretty funny. My mom um, is a pretty simple woman, but she has two things that she enjoys, which is Colgate toothpaste and almond joys. That's her two things she can't live without.
0: Which are such an oxymoron. It's like, okay, I'm going to eat them, but my teeth need to be clean. <laughs> right.
1: And then um, she said, You know, when the, the nuns took that away and said she couldn't have it, she had to give it to God. That was it. Like she was out. She said she couldn't take it.
0: No, see, you're not there's a, you know, you want to raise funding for your uh, campaign. Here's where you start. Because there's a monk and there's a nun. You start a religious dating service, like, you know, Black People Meet and J Date. Yeah. You do like uh, peopleofthecloth.com. Yeah. You can make a killing. <laughs> you would sit there because you, I mean, I'm sure there's nuns who are leaving. And how does, I mean, you think about it. If you're a guy who's in the monastery yes. and you leave, you don't have the pickup lines. Especially, you know, you, you lost that touch. And a, and a nun, I mean, she's sure not going off to you, like, hey, you know, right. give me your number. Right. So you could make, that's how you could raise so much money.
1: That's what my friend told me I should start a dating site. For, she didn't really go with the religious part. Of it, she went with a different aspect, but I maybe think, I should take that I advice. That's a pretty good
0: idea. So they come with the background of, of the monk and the nun, and but you go into entertainment as a kid. Were you did you gravitate towards entertainment, yes. or did, did did a certain thing, did a certain event make you like? Did you watch something on TV and said I want to do that, or did you sing, or did you dance, or did you, you act? You know, or? I
1: always adored Cher when I was little, and I loved her music, and I loved uh, mermaids, which I saw when I was young. I, I think Christina Ricci and I are about the same age, so okay. when she was in that. I saw that. And uh, I loved Cher. I just really looked up to her. So we, gr- I had this big farm that I grew up on because my dad, again, wanted to be like St. Francis, surrounded by animals. So here's my dad from New York knowing nothing about farm animals in Alachua, Florida. And, um, you know, they worked. Both my parents worked a lot of hours. So I would um, pretend with the cows. I would pretend I was Cher and sing to the cows. And then um, – I We didn't really have any money for me to take singing or any of those kind of things. So I played sports. And then when I turned 16, my dad had saved and took us on a trip to um, San Francisco. And he showed me the church where Sister Act was filmed in. And then everybody was older than me, so they all went down for a drink. And I was alone in the hotel. And we never had HBO where I lived. And I saw Rosie O'Donnell doing stand-up. Okay. And that was it. When I saw Rosie doing stand-up, I was like, I want to do that. I want to make people laugh and – and i couldn't stop thinking about it so I did beauty pageants because where I grew up that was the only way to be on a stage was to to hop in a beauty pageant which I was terrible in by the way I could walk in heels Are they as
0: bad as you see like like, like the parents and the everyone seems like they're just bitches I mean is that is that really what it's like
1: I mean the town I was in they weren't that competitive but I did win Miss Hollywood and I was in the Miss California pageant and that was an all out nightmare yes it was it was terrible I would never do that again and I would never put my child into those situations I just wanted to be on a stage So it never really bothered me. And I've always been able to shake off what people say to me pretty well. So, you know, I didn't care. But, yeah, there were pretty nasty people in there.
0: Now, did your parents, because, I mean, it is a different background, you know, religion and farming right? and then no but then and you want to act were they supportive or were they because I mean a lot of times you know I get different from people like a lot of times parents aren't supportive like my parents were supportive but I went to college and I got my degree right. and then they were like well what do you you know you have a bachelor of science in business why aren't you doing anything and then I started right. getting a lot of work in Philly in comedy so okay. my name was in a newspaper a lot and stuff like that and so then they were like oh okay this is alright you know it's right. not, not business but we'll take it what was their view on you like because when you when you went from sports Mm-hmm. and then then you I mean, when did they know and when did you say to them i this is what i want to do i want to get do entertainment
1: uh, well my i you know my mom pushed me to be an english major at the university of florida and i wanted to do theater and she's like oh you know be an english major you can do whatever you want with that and um then I f- was working for the state attorney's office and my I liked law and I uh, my dad was like pushed me to go to law school and the minute I walked into law school like the d- first day I called my dad and said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this and he kept pushing me and pushing me And finally I just I got cast in um, the Tony and Tina spinoff in San Diego the the um, Joey and Maria's Italian wedding. I was one of the bridesmaids and uh, once I started to do that I just left law school. I just checked out I, I, I never really studied. I didn't really want to be there and um, I you know my dad was really upset with that because he always thought I would be a great lawyer and it wasn't until probably they saw my one woman show about three times and then they've seen you know my documentary growing and now they're supportive they know they can't change what I want to do
0: now where'd you go to law school uh, Cal Western in San Diego. No, really? my yeah, Me and my ex-wife, we used to live in San Diego. <laughs> oh, we really? lived, uh And I worked way to tables at the Planet Hollywood in San Diego. I know where that is. And it's gone now. Yeah, but, but it was yeah.
1: down in the gas land. Yeah,
0: and we lived on a loft on 3rd and Island, and okay. uh, I loved it down there, and our neighbor went to Cal Western. Actually, I, two of our neighbors went to Cal Western.
1: Really? And yeah, and
0: so, now where did the Tony, what, what theater, were you at the Fritz Theater, or where was the Tony and Tina did a play? They would do, you do it at Dave
1: and Buster's. In okay. That, that room. That okay, I see. That, that wasn't yeah.
0: up when I I was as I was moving. The, our general manager from Planet Hollywood went to Dave and Buster's. Okay. as their general manager? Okay. Yeah,
1: because they do it like it was a real wedding. So you'd come in and everybody would be fed, and so they have this huge venue. It was so much fun. I had so much fun doing
0: that. Now, how'd you gravitate out towards San Diego? Because if you're sitting there, you, you know you. You go to school in Florida, uh-huh. you know, you're a small town girl, you know, yeah. not, not to sound like Journey, but no, I mean, you're so, it's, did you consciously make a choice because yeah, well, you thought I want to end up in LA? This
1: is the movie, um, son-in-law. Like, you remember the movie with Polly Shore? Yeah, with Polly Shore. And they lived in <laughs> We're like the only two dorm. that remember that movie. That's <laughs> yeah, a great movie. But it was um, Polly Shore, and he lived in a co ed dorm in a California school, which I think it was UCLA or something. And when I saw that, I just want that's what I wanted to do. I, I've always wanted to be in California. And then at the time when I was taking the LSATs, I wasn't in the best relationship, and my dad was sort of pushing me out. And so he, he, he had um, flew me here, and he took me to a, like a law school conference. And um, I picked up all these packets, and one of them was Cal Western. And then when I went to visit there, that school was so beautiful. And it faced the beach, and it was smaller, and it supposedly wasn't as competitive. So I picked that school.
0: Now, how long did you last there?
1: Uh, Barely a year.
0: So you're there for a year, and then you say, I'm not going to law school. But and then in-
1: my dad convinced me to go back. So then I went back for another year, and then um, then I was like, "No, I'm not going to do this."
0: So what do you do then? Because you had this, you wanted to do this dream, but you already have two years of law yeah. school, and you're—I mean, you probably could have finished the law school, but you didn't want to do it. So you sat there, and did you say? In I mean, what moment did you say, "I need to move to LA"?
1: Um, <clears throat> after the second round, when I was back there, it just wasn't going well, and I really couldn't. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't focus. I didn't study the amount of time I should have been studying. And, uh, you know, I always was dreaming about acting. And I had started to do stand-up. And then, you know, when I should have been studying, I was mailing out headshots and resumes like you're supposed to do to get an agent. And, and, and finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I came up, up to L.A. and I became a personal trainer.
0: Where were you doing stand-up in San Diego?
1: At the comedy store down there. Okay,
0: now was Fred Burns still alive?
1: Uh, I don't remember. He
0: was the guy who ran it with the crutches? No,
1: this guy was younger that ran Okay, because
0: when I, when I lived in San Diego, it was so funny because I had done my comedy career. I got out of business, and I would just fool around in San Diego. Uh-huh. And there was such a good group of comics. We would go to yeah. Fibra McGee's. It was me, Bobby Lee, uh, Gary Owen, Dante. And all, and it was, it was a really cool comedy scene. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they had opened up another place in La Jolla. Besides the Comedy Store, but it didn't last. But a lot of comics started out from there. So, so you got you were getting your chops. Were you get on stage a lottery, just just fooling around with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: no, I would go to all the open mics, and I took some classes. That gave, that's where I learned. If you take classes, you get stage time. And so I did all of that stuff, and um, and then I kind of was fearless with it. Like I was never scared to get up there and do it. I probably said things I shouldn't have said, but um, I just it was it still to this day getting on a stage and making people laugh is. The greatest feeling you could possibly have. I mean, it just feels like you're on a drug. You just, you, you know, you can't think of anything else. There's nothing that stresses you out. It's just so much fun.
0: But well, yeah, I mean, I see, I sort of lost that feeling. I have that feeling. That's what <laughs> I, I only perform every, I perform once in a while. That's it.
1: Well, we met doing those yeah, kind of shows but, but up but here I, at the Ice House. Yeah,
0: but I mean, that was, I would just screw around with it. That's when I was like, I want to do it. And then I'm like, eh. Because I don't like the L.A. comedy scene. I just think it's lame. But, uh, but it's, it's, you know, the Ice House is a great room. I mean, that's one yeah. thing. Yeah, well, great. my
1: two favorite rooms are the Ice House and then the Comedy Store in the main room. I mean, I've had fun in both of those rooms. But, um, you know, I haven't had a lot of success on getting booked in other venues outside of the people who know me.
0: it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah, so tiring. So you come up here, you move to L.A., and I always ask people, where's the first place you lived when you moved to L.A.? What town did you pick and did you know the area? Because a lot of times people move somewhere and they go, holy God, I'm, I'm in an awful area.
1: No, the first place I lived was on La Brea and um, kind of La Brea and Gardner. Okay. So it was a nice – I was in a nice apartment complex. I mean, I think at that point my dad had realized I'm not going to talk her back into school, law school. So he helped me find a nice apartment to stay in. And then from there, you know, as you start to get older, my dad was like, now you're on your own. Okay, you want to do comedy, then you go be – you live in a, a comedian's world and I had to go more east <laughs> kind of like – like Hollywood, I was on um, Yucca Street. Oh god, not, y- not not not
0: not big complex. There's this big. My friend lived in. It's the it most a- disgusting building. It's this huge building on Yucca, and you yeah. walk in, and you're like. It's like there's transients walking in. There
1: and- is, but I was the one over from that, so I was a, But that that apartment, I mean, I had terrible heartbreak in it, but it was a teeny. It was like a studio the size of this room, and I had a lot. I grew a lot in that studio, you know. So I lived there for about six, seven years, I think.
0: See, that's cool though. At least you know. I mean, it's, that area's gotten. Better. I miss
1: that apartment. If I if I might, I go big, I'm gonna go buy that. <laughs> there you go.
0: So now you you, you became a physical trainer. Yeah. Is that personal correct? trainer? Personal trainer. Yeah. Now I got a question. And this is this is okay, so you're in shape. Okay. And okay. you know, Joanne works out a lot. And Joanne's right. like, Man, because you can tell Jeanette's a, a personal trainer because she's got amazing legs. And Joanne I mean, Joanne works out five days uh-huh. a week. And you are in shape. But the gym I go to, all the personal trainers, they are just like fat. And well, it's like yeah. it's like it do you? Is it hard? It must not be hard to become a personal trainer.
1: No, it's not hard. Do you just take a you know course and you become a trainer? And nowhere in that course does it suggest that you should be in shape. So, but to give the trainers a break, I mean, sometimes when I've gained weight as a trainer, I've trained in fifteen hours a day, you know, and it's just back to back to back to back to back, and it's exhausting, and you're just eating when you can, and you know, so you kind of your workouts fall to the side to help other people. But yeah, as a trainer, you should be in shape. You want to sell your business, so. And all, it always tear
0: me because in my gym, I'm not going to say it's in Burbank though. All the people walk around, like the trainers, like they walk around like they're the popular people in high school. They do, and yeah. And I'm like, you guys know you aren't. Look at you. Like the one guy's like <laughs> fat. And me and Joanne notice this guy always trains old people because they're not going to argue. And, and he sits there and he counts out loud and it's like, shut up. We're trying to work out. Right. Are, you, are you a courteous trainer?
1: Um, I try to be courteous, but you know, I will say this, sometimes I get people who like to talk more than work out. So yeah, to the outside eye, it looks like I'm not doing my job, but really I'm doing my job. They, they need support. They need a friend. They need to, someone to hear their problems. So I probably come across as not so courteous, but I'm just doing my job. I'm being there for the person for whatever they need.
0: All right. We're going to veer off course here now. Um, I want to, I want to talk about blindsided and, okay. uh, cause that's really one of the things I want to start and explain to people what it is. And I want, to, I want you to tell me from, because I've gotten bits and pieces, so I want you to tell me from the beginning uh-huh. how it all came about. I heard some of the story at the right. thing the other day, right. how it all came about, and then how did you sit there and put it into your mind that you were going to do the one-person show? Because if, if people, if you don't know, doing I thought of doing a one-person show about my heart condition and stuff like that. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the thing is, and the one thing people don't understand is it's not comedy. There's funny in it, but the difference is in comedy, you don't get... If a joke doesn't work, you don't get bent out of shape. But for you, this is your life. This is what you've gone through. So if if it gets panned it's you're going to be like what, you know, so tell the whole story, how it all came about. I know your friend committed suicide at 17, but tell, yeah.
1: Um, my best friend took her own life when, when we were teens and I had, I actually previously had lost another friend to suicide and, um, I wasn't in the best relationship and I sort of was just losing myself. And then, you know, I was, I, I don't think the full pain had hit when Katie died, um, until I moved to California. And then I was in law school and, um, I just started to kind of lose control, and I was in my early twenties too. But with- she
0: died at seventeen, right?
1: Yeah, she was sixteen. I was seventeen. Okay, so yeah.
0: so it took a while for you to actually embrace. I mean, actually accept it. Is that what happened to you? Well, or
1: yeah, I think I was just in such shock. That it, it took a while. I mean, I spent immediately day after day at her grave and crying. So it was there, but it wasn't um, that was a struggle of just the loss. But then my own struggles with life kicked in when I got into law school, and it was just I was spinning out of control and hiding it all the time and all the time. And then I saw John Leguizamo's was uh, almost sexaholics. And I loved how it was so it's heartbreaking and it's hysterical, you know. So, um, I thought, well, maybe if I started writing, I can I can guide myself through this. And so it was like a 13-year process of writing and then really struggling to live and then writing again and then being told this is a stupid idea and finding people to help and nobody really wants to help. And then you find coaches and then they're super expensive and you're trying to make the money. But I just believed in it. So I just kept writing and writing. And so the original script was 200 pages because I just wrote every ounce of pain and funniness down that I could think of.
0: Now, what was your f- formatting were you just writing like paragraph paragraph or did you sit there and when you were when you were actually writing it uh-huh when you i mean i'm sure when you were just starting writing i think it was more I, I may be wrong but i think it was more of a journal just to really yeah, help yourself journal, and exactly. you know and you had the idea but i'm sure you're not thinking because first of all you weren't doing a lot of comedy then and you know no. you know so you probably for my thing you're probably just writing and not thinking it as a show now as you yeah. get older in a business you can you know where yeah. things go so it was it basically it was just you were just Pouring out your heart. I mean, and Mm -hmm. like, would you write every day, or did you sit there? Did you have a schedule? No,
1: I would write, and then I would go through a really hard time, and probably not not (coughs) write for you know three or four weeks, and then I would write again. And the funny thing is, is now there's you know a cast of characters that came in over those fifteen years. So that was something I didn't have when I first started writing. I did just write like massive pages, and it was just full. There was no paragraph breaks. And then I started working with someone. It was like, okay, we got to build characters, but every in that show, still to this day, is all true stories. I just built them and punched in the jokes a little bit, and, um, and then all of a sudden you had the characters, and which characters were we going to keep, and which story is not that important to have, and which one is a great story but isn't really to the point, and what is the point of the story, you know? So it was all this huge process, but I just stuck with it. I was just determined I was going to get it done.
0: Well, you say the characters. So they're basically, do you play a character or how did, I mean, were these just characters that you met in, let's say therapy or, I mean, did you, did you go to a lot of therapy? Oh, a after? ton.
1: Well, I had to because um, I, I, well, A, I was struggling with my own suicidal thoughts, but B, I didn't want to sound like a crazy person on a stage. Cause you've been in a comedy room where you, a comic's trying to do jokes and you're like, Ooh, he right. needs help. Like, this isn't, this isn't funny. People go up and, and I didn't want to be that person. And then I, Knew I couldn't just talk about suicide because that's just going to drive people crazy. So I had to, you know, punch in some sex jokes, but which jokes are okay and which jokes aren't okay. So yeah, the characters just came. They're all real people in my life. Any of the men that are in that show are all nicknamed. I nicknamed all of them, but I imitate all of them. And the strongest, even my dog has a voice um, because I got a dog the day after my friend died and I was so traumatized. I just started to talk about my pain through the dog. So I would do a voice for the dog. So the dog is a really big character in the show and my grandma Anne from Brooklyn and then you have a squared against all the rednecks in Florida I mean it's just this cast of characters that's crazy
0: now, I want to ask you... Um, and the nun
1: and the monk, of course. Yeah, of are course, there too, of for course. <laughs> you have to that. And then they go to the, the, web, the dating website, uh, religionmeet.com, we God. you know, yeah. and uh,
0: God's on Facebook. It's got, he's got a great profile. All the, all the nuns say they're in a relationship with God. That's what the right. nuns say on Facebook. So that's
1: what I say when I have bad luck. Mom, you cheated on God, and I got God. your bad luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, because the big thing is, and it came with Rob Williams, the suicide awareness. Yeah. Now... At seventeen and being in a small town, because mm-hmm. I would think you know, no, no one. I graduated high school. We didn't lose anyone in our class, and I think, and you see it on the news. It's probably at that age. It must be such a, um, it must be heartbreaking, which it was for you to lose someone, but then to lose someone in suicide when it happened in your school. Mm-hmm. Did people sit there? Did the did the teachers? know, did they push it under? Tell a story about nobody about when you gave knew, the speech.
1: Okay, nobody knew what to do. For example, the day my first friend passed away. I remember it specifically, all the, 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 you know, the senior class, so 200 students are standing in the parking lot of the high school, hysterical, crying, and screaming, and not knowing what to do, and I remember that it was three o'clock, and the principal just drove. He would left, and he didn't say anything to anybody, and, you know, the counselors didn't really know what to do. They sent out the crisis center counselors, but you're in such shock, you don't really know how to absorb any of it, and you have strangers talking to you, and for me, my mom, you know, threw me into therapy, but here's this person that read the book on how to feel, but does he really know how I feel I don't think so and so um there was that initial shock and yes I talked about this at the screening the other night my senior year I did a speech at our graduation and I wanted to honor my first friend that passed away and they told me I was not allowed to say his name but Why? I said it
0: anyway was there a the reason for that?
1: that? they didn't want the death to be remembered at graduation and, and they didn't like this I think it was such a shock in the way he died they just didn't want it talked about and I decided to do it anyway because I felt like he had to be remembered and honored and, and so I did that and then uh, when Katie passed away I had gra- I was a freshman in high school she or in, uh, in college and she was still in high school and uh, again that time my softball coach had come to uh, my house and she had said you need to go talk to the students. And so I went and talked to them, but I don't remember anybody else. Still my the high school softball coach will say she didn't know what to do. Like nobody knew what to do. It's such a shock and you know the adults are hurt and the kids are hurt and and it's just it's such a shock nobody really knows what to do. I and and being in a small town where it's supposed these things aren't supposed to happen. It, it you know Made it worse.
0: So for their lack of action, it's the best way to say it. Is uh, from then? Is that when you decided in your head that you were going to go on this journey? I mean, I know it took years. Or
1: it wasn't no, because then I mean, anybody who was from our hometown and we taught. You know, when I went to do my show in Gainesville, everybody says it was like, okay, they died, we had this funeral, and then it was like, okay, back to school, back to normal. No, we're all fine. We're all fine, and and we were all left with this hole in our our souls, and we didn't know what to do or how. Should we talk about it? So it was just just the. you know back to, to work we went or back to school when i decided to take action was i was sinking so low i was studying about signs of suicide or how to help yourself and i didn't want to take meds and not that i'm against meds but i didn't want to take them cuz i heard that people kill themselves they're more likely to kill themselves when they go on the meds cuz they don't feel as much and i just read that's a, a good sign of someone who was previously suicidal but maybe is coming out of it as they started to make plans so i was like okay the way i'll save myself is i'll just make plans and i'm going to plan to do to finish this one woman show, and I'm going to plan to do this documentary, and I'm going to plan big parties, and then that's going to prevent me from doing it. And then in doing that, it did help me because I got excited about the the events, and and then I started to see after the events how it was touching people, and people were inspired, and people were able to say, "I know how you feel," because I feel suicidal too, and I don't feel like I can talk to anybody. Then it was like, "All right, I'm on the right path now."
0: Now, do you think you're feeling suicidal was because of your friend's suicide, or do you think, think it there- was just some I don't
1: think that it would have hit me as hard if she hadn't but uh, done that uh, I don't think it would have been on my mind but it was it was this weird thing where I just felt like I was going crazy and I couldn't really think of anything but dying and um, I really blamed myself for her death as I think she blamed herself for our first friend's death and um, so yeah I would say if she didn't do that would it have been on my mind as much probably not. But um, you know, I couldn't control it. I couldn't control it, and I really felt like I started to look. Was I bipolar? I mean, what was going on that I just couldn't get in control of my emotions at all?
0: We well, you know what's So scary about this. And I we just saw I saw an article, a story on autism today, and um, and anything bipolar and autism. When I was when I was younger, because I'm fifty, and when I was younger, you know, there was no ADD. It was a kid who was hyperactive. Right, he's running around. You know, around. Right. You know you go out and play. You'll right. come back and fall asleep. <laughs> you know, if you're. Signs of small sign of Asperger's. It was no, you were just daydreaming. Right. And even the bipolar. I mean, it's so funny. I think sometimes that the media has made it so big mm-hmm. that if someone they, they're, they automatically put people in meds. And I, I'm, and I, it's, I'm, it's, I'm glad you haven't gone to meds because, then you said in your show how you felt that you might lose your creativity. Yeah. But you know you're strong enough to do it without the meds. And I think sometimes now we just automatically give meds to people. Yeah. And it's irritating because it's like, guess what? We all go through depression. Now not and that's not a that I mean, not it's, don't go to depression like someone who's clinically depressed because right. that's a very sad right. that's a bad problem. And if someone is clinically cleaning, it's like anything. Give them, you know, medicine. Me, I have to take a thing for my AFib, my heart. Other people's heart races, but they don't have AFib. But they don't need the medicine. A panic attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's good that you don't take it. I mean, and what I mean was it the re- main reason why you didn't take the meds was because you thought it would st- stunt your creativity or
1: no? It wasn't about my create. It, I mean. It's funny because comics will say, you know how you have all these comics at open mics or bring your shows in the back? And they're like, well, Chris Rock said no comic should ever see a therapist because then they'll lose their creativity. And I was like, yeah, I would be dead if I didn't see a therapist. So I'm going to keep seeing my therapist. But um, for me, it was more of I was afraid I wouldn't feel and I would end up killing myself. That was my main reason why I still won't take the pills is I was afraid that I would lose all that pain and, and then forget what it's like to miss my parents or all these kind of things and I would end up taking my own life. That is the only reason I still to this day will not go on them is because... I just am afraid that I'll lose that sensation and I'll end up taking my own life. Now, um, I did a lot of exercise because the the exercise made me, you know, feel happy and I ate the right foods and I changed everything I could within my control to kind of get bring myself out of the depression. But People have to remember, you know, being a trainer, you know, women get divorced or, you know, men get their hearts broken or a parent dies or a dog dies or a child passes away, you know, God forbid. And that, you know, it's a Immediately, like, well, I need to take meds. And I'm like, well, but that's a natural response to someone leaving your life whether it's a breakup or you know a death you know you go through it You, you there, that's the thing is that sometimes when people just feel normal emotions all of a sudden they say well you need to be on meds for that you know my therapist said I need to be tested for being bipolar and I'm like no I had a shitty day I felt shitty I had a happy day I felt happy right. that's natural I'm not I'm not bipolar
0: well the funny thing about the therapy in comics well they didn't say it's Richard Lewis's major therapy Sarah Silverman's everyone's every Comics been in therapy, and that's the thing. When these guys, I, I love these know-it-all comics. Oh, you read a book? Yeah. I, I guarantee Chris Rock's been in therapy too. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm saying. Now I'm going to ask because my guest later today wrote for Chris Rock, so I'm going to ask: Was okay. Chris ever? Was yeah. th- uh, did Chris ever say that? Yeah. And then you tell those young comics, shut up.
1: Yeah. Well, let me know if he says yes, because
0: <laughs> now as you're going through this and you're and you're writing, and you're pouring your heart out in a journal. At the same time, were you doing research on uh, suicide so you could I... see a little bit of an? and not an expert but so you know because you don't want because it's such a touchy subject and it's mm-hmm. such a uh a delicate subject right. that you don't want to sit there and give a wrong stat because then people will be like right. oh you don't know anything what what are you up there talking for did right. you have to do research no. or was that hard for you
1: actually I talked about this the other night when we were saying the podcast I was doing a couple of weeks ago and the phone rang and I was like oh my guts dropped right but because I do always refer people to professionals but I read a lot of books about sur- survivors what the survivors go through of suicide I read a lot of you know uh, statistics about suicide I've watched a lot of documentaries about suicide I've been in therapy for 15 years now I wouldn't claim myself to be an expert about suicide prevention Um, I just know it's the more you talk about it the more likely people are going to be aware of it and the less likely people are going to take their own lives you know that's where I was saying uh, if someone tells you they're feeling suicidal a lot of people just say well I know how you feel that's just a natural response when really it should be well is there any way we can help you do we need to get you help those kinds of things and that's just a natural of waking up common sense in people. I don't think that makes me really an expert.
0: Did you, okay, I'm sorry. Because I, I, my friend gave me a book. Cause I said you were going to be on the show, and her, and her husband committed suicide, okay. uh, and they live in Florida. I went to high school with her in the house. About and she's just I guess this suicide prevention weakness right now. Yes, is it, it yeah.
1: is. Yeah. And she's
0: supposed to have you ever heard of a book called uh, To Write or uh, To Write Live on Her Arms?
1: Uh uh-uh, uh Okay, I've never well, heard of it. There's uh, the, the best book I read was called Surviving Suicide by Carla Fine and the um she she had told a story of a lady in there who had done everything to save her son and then the son still ended up taking his own life and then she moved to New York and there was these little kids playing stickball and the one little kid didn't want to play so they offered him everything like we'll take you for pizza and we'll take you for ice cream and we'll buy you this and we'll buy you that and this kid didn't want to play and then she realized that's the thing about people who end up taking their own lives you can offer them everything to play the game of life but if they don't want to play they're not going to play and that was a huge eye opener for me because you know, um, doing all of this in the documentary interviews, I've realized there was nothing that could have been done to save Katie, there were no signs, she just wanted to go, so she left.
0: So, you have all your journal. Well, i want to get back to how you formulated the show because you get your journal going, yeah, the 200 pages, which of yeah. course you can't that's a that's, that's a, like
1: a nine hour show, <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, I'm sure, like anything, you're getting wiser in your comedy, and you, uh-huh. you're getting you know, you know you find where your writing is and you know what's good. So when you started editing it, was that a very hard process? Because there's probably some stuff that you thought was very, very important. But it's not going to translate on stage. And was that hard for you to do?
1: Yeah, because, you know, there's some stories that I love to tell. And then, you know, the first two directors were like, get rid of that. And that was hard for me. And then when we had to switch it from PG-13 or rated R to PG-13, then I brought in a, a, a editor. And she, you know, again, shaving the things off that you don't need. And because it's your life story, you feel like... Whoa. will the story still make sense or will the story really still make sense or if I sit here and I don't have any in the PG-13 show any sex jokes in it, are they going to all be depressed and suicidal when they leave but you just have to trust the process and trust your guts on things and just read it out loud and film it and then you're like, okay, that makes sense. I didn't really need that story. That's true. (laughs) Okay, so so
0: when you sit there and you said you work with different directors, when you finally decided, I mean, you had to come to the point where you're writing and and you're doing comedy but you finally, you put that, Thought and everything knows entertainers entertainers. We all procrastinate, right? And so when you finally sat there, was there a direct? Was there an instant moment that you said, "Okay, I need to put this up now"? Or did you sit yeah. there and do him and hall about it no, a little no, bit? No,
1: it's funny because I um, I had been out with a friend and she was going through a divorce, and um, so she asked me to meet her at a bar, and then so I met her, and then I met my. Um, there was a gentleman sitting next to us and he's now my friend Vince and he kind of said to me you need to do that that show because he asked me what I did and I said oh I'm writing the show and he was like you really need to do that because that's funny and something in that and then really realizing that he was successful in the industry just made me get off my ass and finish it. Because I was like, here you have this person who's successful, who's telling you you have something good on your hands, get out of your own way, be a better friend to yourself and finish the damn thing. And I literally have never taken a day off work and I took the whole weekend off and I wrote everything from my heart and then from there it was like it had to be done.
0: So when you got to that point and you wrote everything from your heart and you knew it had to be done, mm-hmm. Do you start rehearsing or do you go look for a theater? What's your process to get it up and running? Because a lot of people uh, – Well, I just
1: booked a theater and was like, the show is this day. Let's go. <laughs> so I then I had to move fast. And so that first show, because I did that, because I was like, you're going to do it. So just do it and you'll learn as you go. I didn't even have all the lines in my head. I had the script in front of me and I just did it. And then from there, it was like, okay, we'll book the next show and then we'll book the next show. And then eventually just things get better and and you get when you realize people are coming to watch you then you kind of have to do it you have no choice there's there's no procrastination allowed because it has to be done
0: now how did you work, deal with the technical aspects did you block it did you stuff like that or how did you sit there and say this is how the show could go? i mean could you I'm, I'm sure you rehearsed in your did you rehearse at the theater or? I, a
1: little bit but i didn't really didn't have the money to rent it and paying the director was expensive and so the director the first director and i worked on that a little bit um the sector second director and i worked on that even more but where i really learned the blocking and the changes and the character really comes from the lighting I mean, that's the biggest lesson I learned, is your, your strongest player with you is your, your person running the lighting. So I had my first show in the Hollywood Fringe. I was in a professional theater with all these lights, and, and it it's like he's a piano player and I'm the singer, and we have to move together. And that's where I learned the most about blocking and going from really happy to really sad and how lights can really bring a character out more, even though I'm still the one doing it. If you have good lights, it, it just brings them to life more. You have angry lighting and happy lighting and sad lighting and transformation transition lighting so that's where it really came all together
0: you say the first night you do it Mm -hmm. because you know you've done stand-up but this is a completely different ball were you really nervous were you pumped were you excited what was going through your head just as that not that i can't say that split second before you go on stage because Uh anyone who performs knows once you're about to go on stage you're you have the nervousness of course but it's all the thinking before i mean the days living leading up to it and i know when i started when doing young when i was young doing comedy uh if i did a show i'd worry i'm like okay what if there's nobody there and then if they're yeah. there, if they're <laughs> there, what if they don't like me? Were those things going through?
1: No, because the first show that I did, first couple shows I did, were all fundraisers for Suicide Foundations. So that I that was kind of genius in my planning. Like, I took the pressure off me because I was like, okay, this is just for a good cause. I didn't take any of the money for tickets. I donated it all. I collected donations. I provided alcohol and, you know, snacks. And my mom cooked. She's an amazing cook. And all of that money was going to Suicide Foundation. So it didn't really bother me or make me scared because i'm like i'm just trying to do a good cause so it doesn't matter if i suck but then when i got hired in malibu by malibu city council that was a different kind of breed because then i'm like oh god i have to be good these people are paying me and i need to do my job and i need to save these lives and yeah i don't have the tickets in my hands what if nobody comes all those kind of things and it's frightening because you don't know you're just going to walk out on a stage and will there be a thousand people there Will there be just nobody there
0: now how did you figure out which Suicide charity you would give to was it someone you? Would, I mean, how did you sit there? The did two you go?
1: Were well, a the the one in Sacramento, uh, which is uh, the Friends of Survivors. I had e- I had called them. Um, when I read that book, uh, Surviving Suicide, because I saw it in the back, and I had asked them for help, and they kind of helped me a little bit. And then the other one that's still pretty much the main one I donate to, that's the Friends of the Crisis Center in Gainesville, Florida, which is right outside of my hometown, and they are the ones that sent the counselors when um, both of my friends passed away. So I always give back to them. And they built this beautiful garden with some of the money we raised. And it's a, a memory garden. And people in Gainesville can go there and, you know, remember people who were lost. And it, it's a really beautiful, beautiful space.
0: Now, where did the bench go?
1: The benches, both benches for my friends are in the memory garden in Gainesville, Florida. And so um, when we – I did the fundraiser for my show. I also did a softball, kind of mini softball tournament to raise more funds um, in my hometown because I know a lot of people there, so I can pull that off pretty easily. And um, – we did a great softball fundraiser the day before, and then the next day was the show, and we collected tons and tons of donations. And ticket sales were really high, and so we donated all of that. And then um, they they built this garden, and they put the two benches. I just asked that both um, my friends that passed away had benches in the garden with, and I wrote like they have plates on them, and I just wrote you know something to them.
0: Now, when you came back and did all this. How did the people in your town react? Was oh, they it, were wonderful. I mean, were they sitting there going, Okay, this happened a long time ago but it's now we're time to remember it. I mean were they were they over it or was it still no. bothering them? Or does it's- that, sound like, does that ever, does something like that ever something like that ever Leave a small town Because it's not like A big city Tragedy happens right. all the time But right. does, does that ever Leave a small I town I don't
1: think so You know I always said Katie's death was The September 11th Of Alachua, Florida Everybody will always Remember where they were Here's 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 an example I got my first donation On Indiegogo And I thought it was A stranger Because I hadn't Actually put it I had made it live But I didn't announce That it was live And I saw my first donation I was like Oh this is pretty cool You know it's a stranger And they donated money That's good And so I wrote A thank you note And the letter came back And she She said, hi, Jeanette. um, Actually, I was a freshman in... And when Katie died, and um, it's odd. This morning I just woke up and I thought of her randomly. So I just Googled to see if there was any place that there was a memorial for her, and I came across this. And so here's this girl that didn't, you know, Katie probably didn't even know. And now, you know, it's still there all these years later. So I don't think anybody really got over it. And their reaction certainly suggested they didn't. Um, And I got a lot of letters afterwards where people were saying, like, I never really talked about it, but it was touching. And so I don't think that will ever leave that
0: town. Okay, so so now you get the movie done. Uh, yeah. Not the movie, the, the play. But, You're doing the play. Yeah. At what point do you was well, it a play it's a show whatever a,
1: yeah my one woman, one, show. one woman
0: show one person show let's be, let's so be correct I, I, I don't want people yelling and go, no okay. Cooper it's <laughs> one person not one woman because you know that comes up all the time yeah. and I have a problem with that it's just like I have a problem with people who bitch about people doing fat jokes when oh, when if yeah. you do a bald joke everyone's fine with that let's <laughs> make fun of the bald people and then what happens if the ball guy tries to get better and put a hairpiece on then they go hey look at that guy's wig yeah. so I don't want to hear any of that crap Right. so, so you're sitting there
1: everybody's and, fair game exactly jokes. now
0: you do the one you're doing the one person show and when in that point you say man i want to do a documentary
1: well, I did it at the same time. I, when I started to do the show, I wanted the show filmed, and then I thought, "Hey, let's do a documentary." Which, again, I really didn't know what it was going to be about. I was like, "Just you know, grab your camera and film." Was it going to be about how to make a one-woman show, solo show, excuse me, or was it about um, you know my struggles? But my struggles was, were still pretty bad. So then it just started to be that, like, m- dealing with my struggle and interviewing people who were also survivors of suicide and their struggles, and and then it just came from you know kept blossoming. And and that's what it's turned into is, you know, the, we say, you know, every, one person commits suicide every 13 minutes and one woman presents the will to live. So that's what the documentary is, is fighting through that pain and that loss and, and, and carrying on with life and surviving it.
0: Now, the people you say, you talk to suicide survivors, mm-hmm. um, I know people who are affected by suicide. How right. did you find them? Did you sit there? I mean, I mean, because it must be one i mean did you know them because it must be very hard for someone to say okay i'll talk to you i don't know who you are right that something this tragedy happened to me or did you find that a lot of people want to talk about it it's that it's because i think now people want to talk about it. i mean what was your right. process trying to find well, people to be on it
1: well i mean you can just walk outside and ask anybody if they know someone who committed suicide everybody will say yes it started i did a, a kind of a casting on la casting and i got a lot of responses but then they got booked and then Um, knowing la and and knowing the subject matter a lot of them canceled or didn't come and then from there i had backed everybody up on all the slots with people i knew and it ended up that the people i knew showed up and the people who were booked did not so
0: so now how was her how was her family because i know her mom's in it katie's katie's mom or no sister
1: no, 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 no one in Katie's oh, family. There's a, a blonde lady. It's her daughter. It's a it's a story of her daughter um, struggling. It's oh, her, okay, it's, I don't it's, know. It's, I was confused. Yeah. yeah, no, they're they're not in it. At, well, her sister is in it. Her sister is in it when they're showing the benches, but they're supportive. You know, I, I send them everything, and, and, and they, they always say, you know, they didn't know I was affected so much by her death. Um, so they've always been very nice, and the family's been supportive. Do
0: they not want to be in it, or did you just feel weird I having them really in it? I
1: haven't asked them yet because um, we weren't that far along. I mean, we, I have to pay for the tickets to get us there, so that's what the funding is going to help us do. And then I will talk to them. Cor- or the, her sister, Corey will do it. Um, we'll, we'll, she'll be interviewed.
0: Now, when you're sitting there setting this all up, and it's such a – you know, it's a tough, tough subject, yeah. and you have to find someone. I, I met you know, the guy who's the f- cinematographer, but what was his name? Riley. Riley. Uh-huh. How how do you find someone to do that? Because it must be for you. I mean, basically, it's one of those things where you have to be a bitch because this is mm-hmm. th- you're hiring this person, and this person sucks. This is your story. Yeah. Did you go through? it? Did you? Go to a lot oh, of people yeah. first. Did you well, interview a lot of people?
1: <laughs> no. Riley and I met, uh, I was hosting actually a comedy show that Sinbad was in and I just grabbed him. He was young and I said, hey, will you do this? Uh, will you film this? And so I have to put a pretty heavy hand on him a lot because, you know, it's kind of just wrangling people. And I said this the other night in the screening. Sometimes he wants to put things in, and I'm like, this is my life story. This isn't a film. This isn't something made up. Absolutely not. You're not putting that in there. So you have to protect it. Not to mention it's your dream, and in this city you have to protect your dream. And this would have died a long time ago if I didn't fight for it. So, yeah, I have to be a bitch a lot, but I also have to be very careful. For example, when we did those interviews... um, You saw a lot of them at the end of the trailer. You know, that was eight hours of straight suicide talk. And I actually had a breakdown in the eighth hour. And then I realized when I left, I was like, oh, shit, I have all these young guys because that's all I can afford or, you know, people just coming into the business. And are they okay? They just sat through this. And, I, you know, Riley and I talked, and he really had a tough time the rest of the day because that you, just wears on you. So you have to be careful, too. You have to make sure everybody's okay when they leave those situations and all those interviews and all that talk. I mean, it, it's hard. They absorb it, and you have to kind of make sure they're okay.
0: Now, your publicist had very, very kind words to say about you. Uh, at the at the launch party how did you meet up with her and how did that all happen because she said she just said she it's not her cup of tea
1: well everybody said it's not their cup of tea i was looking for a publicist to help me with this campaign because i have to raise a hundred thousand dollars and that's not easy for someone who's not famous or connected at all which is me so um i had been asking and then a a co-worker of mine said oh i know a publicist and she's pretty well connected because there's a lot of publicists in the city but if they can't help you then what are you going to do you know you can fork out six thousand dollars and get, you know, on one podcast that has no listeners. So I, I was very careful about who I chose and um, I called her and I said, you know, this is what I'm doing and I really need help and I can't pay you until after the fundraising money comes in but I promise you I will and I will do whatever it takes to, to make sure you're taken care of but I need somebody who's going to get the word out there more than just Facebook. And she was kind and she took it on and she, she watched everything and she's seen all the interviews and that's really impressive because a lot of people aren't going to do that. she read both the scripts for the rated r and the pg-13 one woman shows she's and so she took her time and she said okay let's do this we'll get it out there
0: so what avenues is she taking
1: um, well, we just did the press releases today, so um, she's reaching out to all of her connections, which are, are pretty extensive. And um, she's been helping me, kind of, with the Indiegogo site, making sure it's written correctly in the website. She she created that so that it has more credibility, and um, that's where we are right now.
0: We'll give the Indica, Indica, all the Indiegogo because I've had people to do different because there's so many different fundraising sites now. Oh, there's okay. Indiegogo. Thank there's uh, I, there's my, I don't know. There's another one. But the good thing is about Indiegogo, which uh, Sal had said, is if the, if you don't hit your point, you can still use that money. Right, Which right. stinks for some of them because you sit there and if you're like a dollar short, they go, ah, to the hell with it.
1: Right, exactly. Well, I chose Indiegogo because I had heard that. Like, if you don't raise all the money on Kickstarter, you don't get it, but Indiegogo gives it to you. And also that Indiegogo is more focused on projects for good causes. Um, So I decided to go with that. And so um, we built the site and then you have to put the budget in. And it's fun because you get to do the perks. So I was like, okay, what perks could I do? And so one of them is my, my mother is an amazing cook, amazing cook. So we did, okay, dinner for 15. She'll come to your house and she'll cater it. So we built up the perks from five dollars all the way up to twenty five thousand and then you know you write your story in and then we did our launch. So we are officially on Indiegogo, which I do have the site here in front of me. But it's easier to find if you just go to indiegogo.com and type in blindsided a documentary and we're there.
0: Now blindsided it seems to be your brand. Like yes, my brand's is. Cooper Talk right. I mean I do anything, you know and my, <laughs> my blog when I would write was Cooper Thought. I just right. did a thing. Um how did you how did you decide on that name because it is it is catchy but then sometimes you know because i think some people might think oh what the movie blindside you know like this people did you worry about that or
1: well a little bit but blindsided it's funny because when i've done my shows anyone who's lost anybody to suicide says just that that's what happened i was blindsided i didn't see that coming and that's what suicide does to people they don't they don't see it coming and all of a sudden someone's just ripped from their life so it blindsides you So that's how
0: we got the name. Now, why did you decide? I mean, not why, because, of course, you want to hear yourself talk because they're all performers. What made you sit there and go, you know what? I want to do the podcast. And explain a little about your podcast because it's not like this. like people listen to this show and and I just talk to people. right? And there's no, I mean, my point is help people promote themselves and just talk about the business and just funny stuff. And that's my thing. As I said, I'm only as hip as my guests. How? I mean, that's my catchphrase. Because I always, that's the catchphrase because then I don't have to do anything. Because then if you guys suck, I go, I'm only as hip as them. I I, I suck. because they sucked. How did you decide and did you, you host it with uh, Carlos Escobar? Uh,
1: Carlos and um, also Jeffrey Munn who's a therapist. Now how did did therapist. you
0: know with him Did was that your therapist or did you just find no, him or how did that happen? Uh,
1: no, that, that, I was looking for a therapist to come on board with us and Sal actually knew him. Sal Rodriguez referred him to me and I was looking for someone younger and kind of with a lot of energy uh, because it's not easy to be on a positive podcast. You have to talk a lot so if someone's not Coming back to you with point me. Like, I know,
0: especially. You, when I, I mean, yep. it is
1: tiring. It's like doing stand up in front of an audience that's not responding to anything because you have to keep punching and punching and punching, and there's no response. So um, I just was like, okay, I'm going to do a podcast, and I'm going to challenge myself to help people find the funny in the dark side of life because you know that's what life is about. You have to find some type of way to survive the pain, and if you can find a funny way, which is what Joan Rivers just <laughs> said in an interview before she passed, you know, if, if you can make your life easier by making a joke. Joke and making fun of it then do it so that's essentially what we do on the podcast and I always say we're just here to help people find the funny and the dark side of life but it's hard it's hard to take such you know a dark subject and, and make it funny
0: how do you come up with your subjects I mean, do you sit there and go okay this week I'm going to talk about this or do you find your guest do you find, wait, 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 do yeah. you find your guest first and do or do you find a subject and go I want to find a guest if
1: I find a guest then I'll go off of what the guest does but if I don't have a guest then I'll, I'll either go off of something I was dealing with that week um, or I will go off of just top about suicide and, and I research it and I google it and then I was like okay this is interesting I'll do this but you know a lot of times I find the guest, and then we just discuss what I relate it somehow for example I've had some uh, instructors from Barry's Boot Camp on there because I it helps me the exercise so we bring them on and talk about how exercise can help boost your energy and your your mental state and all that kind of stuff
0: now how did carlos come about how did he uh, i just
1: knew carlos from stand-up so i was like hey you want to do this with me
0: because <laughs> a co-host that's it's it's, it's got to be a lot of trust i used to do one with uh do you know sheldon anderson no he's a comic and a guy who my friend who owns a big law firm and we did it, it was called living in the law and sheldon's totally like conspiracy out there i was more like interviewing right. John's laid back. and we knew each other that's why we get along well right but it's hard especially I think when you have two comics because I mean, me and Sean our show wasn't comedy or anything right. we weren't trying to find comedy we were just talking and right. my feeling is funny it comes out I mean how did you have, you have you gained a trust in him or you guys sit there and know you're not gonna well, try to step on each other's yeah. feet yeah
1: I mean he's booked me in a few shows that he had and, and I gave I knew some people looking for comics for things and I sort of just knew him that way but I always knew he was a good person see that's the trick with comics you don't want someone who coming on who really deep down is just, just angry bitter Comic who's going to try to step over everything you say and compete with you? Where I knew, well, he's a man and I'm a woman, so we're going to have different points of view anyway. Um, and then I knew he was a respectful person, so it would just run smoother.
0: So now the documentary. Where are you going to go with the documentary now? Because I know the fund, the, the the indie, the the, the fundraising mm-hmm. is going to go towards the the brand. It's going right. to, to, to because you want to do the show again because yes. I think the show one I think. A documentary is great. I love documentaries, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't like documentaries. Right. But everybody loves a live show.
1: Yeah, So, I mean, do you have any shows? The majority of the funding will go for that, for the the show. Um, No, I don't have any shows planned. That's why I need to raise the funding, because I don't have the funding to put on my own shows anymore, which I always do. Um, So the majority will go for that. For the documentary, we still have interviews back in Gainesville that we have to go back to get, but you have to bring a a group of people with you. It's kind of like an entourage, so to speak. You have to have the, you know, I have to have Riley and... You have to have sound and you have to have you know, sometimes it's not good for me like my sister needs to be interviewed and it's not good if I interview her. You need someone else so you have to bring someone who's trained in that to do the interview. So it's this group of people that go so the some of the funding will go towards that. Then we need to hire the people to do the transcriptions, the editing, all of the, you know you have to storyboard a documentary so we have to bring all of those people in um, and then with the podcast it's again, it's just more money to run it. So it's, it's going towards the whole Brand, yeah, uh, mostly for f- doing some more shows and finishing that documentary.
0: Now, do you get a chance to do stand up anymore much, or because you seem to give so many different hats?
1: Burn, I love stand up, but I got sick of those damn bringer shows. I mean, it's I never just, did one.
0: Ugh. I say I refused though, because I I had somewhat I'd been on the road. I knew people, yeah. and they're like, "You got to bring people." I said, oh, "I'm not bringing people." I'm like, yeah. "I'm not going to do that because I don't, my, I can't bring the things about bringers, what bothers me. Is you're a good act. But most springers you're going to do, there's going to be six crappy yeah, acts, yeah. and they're doing the same time as you. So I'm not going to say to my friends, "Hey, hey, pay pay twelve bucks to come see me yeah. do seven minutes and see six crappy acts."
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the and and then. You, you know, you try to get more people there, and then some people who run bringer shows are like, you get eight people there, and you're supposed to have ten, and they're like, well, we're cutting your time to three minutes, and that's just bullshit. So I got sick of doing those. So if I get booked, I'll do stand up, but I don't do bringer shows or open mics anymore. So it's it's slowed down a lot for me. I'd love to get a public speaking agent and be able to do my shows, and you know, uh, the PG-13 in the middle school and the rated R and um, high schools and colleges, and then you know, maybe do uh, a comedy show here and there while I'm in a specific town that would be golden a dream come true why don't you I'm trying. I uh, keep writing my letters to agents, but I, hopefully my publicist helps me. Publicist will help you. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. You should go to
0: Open Mics, too, and just work out your stuff on your show. I do. I just want, to work. Remember, not your,
1: remember, I'm a personal trainer, so I'm lined up with eight people in a day. I can practice joke after joke and get it down pat. So, And I and my, my one-woman show, I test jokes, too. You know, I have stuff there. So, No, I'm I saying you practices. should go
0: to the Open Mics and do stuff on your one-woman show, because you don't give a crap. They're all micers, mics. They don't want to hear it, and they, they might appreciate show, yeah. that, but they might might appreciate it.
1: That's true. That's true. I should do that. It's a you're different right. aspect.
0: To right. hell with them. You know, they're, they're going to listen to their own things. At least you're getting your stuff out, and right. it's because it's you have to practice. Yeah. Because I'm sure you the rewriting for the re, the one person show must be just awful because you have your points and if one thing doesn't work your comic mind goes that didn't work right. I going to change that but you're thinking well if I change that it throws this off and the show isn't comedy all it's everything I mean, it must be a nightmare well
1: yeah and you, it's hard once you've been a stand up to break that habit you know what I mean so you're scripted for a one woman show but you're gonna see the opportunity to pop a joke and you'll always just pop a joke you know what I mean when I did the show in Malibu I gave them all a heart attack because I something really funny happened right before I went on stage so I started with that and it just they were all like Where's she going? Did she forget her lines already? But as a comic, you can never squash that. I mean, even the other night when I walked up at the screen, screening, I immediately move into stand up right. improv mode because it's in your blood. You can't get rid of it.
0: We have a few minutes left. Uh, just say what you want to know for the next two minutes. Just promote, say whatever, or the next three minutes, or say what your speed, what what your goal is, or just just. As I said, we have we have, we have okay. three minutes.
1: Okay. Well, I definitely um, would appreciate if the listeners could go to Indiegogo and visit our blindsided site. Um, and even the smallest dom- donations, we are very grateful for. You can listen to the, my podcast. It's Wednesday nights at eight on RadioTitans.com, and it's called the Blindsided Podcast. Um, we do take letters from people who are struggling with, you know, feeling happy or feeling suicidal, and we try to help help you find the funny and the dark side of life. And you can email those to me at Jeanette Rizzy at gmail.com. So that's J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E-R-I-Z-Z-I at gmail.com. So two N's, two T's, two Z's at gmail.com. And um, I'm always around on Facebook and definitely, definitely thankful for any support we can have, any shares on the Indiegogo link. I shared today. Steve shared, yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate
0: it. Anyone who's on my show, I share. I even have like my friend Ray Abruzzo had a show back east and he's a very been acting for years i shared it i said if you're because i grew up in new jersey if you're in new jersey go
1: yeah great and i appreciate that because it it touches more people than you know and uh you know just remember when you're walking down the street just say hi to people because you never know whose life you can change just by acknowledging them and saying good see that's
0: so amazing you say that and i agree because i'm I'm one of those people that every day except like i woke up late sunday and went to watch football so i was busy but almost every day i'd say three hundred and 55 days a year uh-huh. I go on Facebook and we you know because we perform we have a lot of friends yeah. I, I don't even know who half these people right. are but I always and it's copy and pasted it but I always send everyone a happy birthday Yeah, and I think it makes a difference because when I sat there on my birthday I had like a thousand happy birthdays, and I actually am one of those people that personally goes back and answers every right, one of them. Right. I don't just sit there and go, "Thanks, everybody." That's right. lazy, right. you know. So, but you're right you have to you have to sit there and talk to people, you have to make people smile.
1: No, I I say this at the end of my show. You never know who's having a bad day and struggling with the will to live, and you just acknowledging them can change that and save them.
0: Now, has this show helped you get past your suicidal oh, thoughts? Yeah, I for mean, sure. yeah. like we're not going to hear about you. No, you're you know. not
1: going to hear. Don't worry, you're not going to donate, and then I'm going to die. I'm going to be here forever I'm gonna not that show <laughs> would like, suck I, like, what, what is yeah, this no, right no, we're no, all because
0: <laughs> it's good and you go check out the trailer it's a good trailer is it on youtube yet
1: it's on uh, vimeo
0: okay because okay. it's a good trailer and it's it's very touching and you know and i love documentaries and it's it's a it's a subject that people aren't used to watching about but they should because as uh Jeanette said every 15 minutes every 15 or 13 13, 13, 13 minutes. minutes and the, the publicist life. made a very uh
1: that more cool people, point, that yeah. more pe- by
0: people who try to kill themselves, like uh-huh. only like 10% actually succeed. Yeah. So that's a lot of people.
1: That's a lot of people. More people die from suicide than car accidents.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Now, uh, we're running out of time. do you tweet?
1: I do tweet. I'm the Jeanette Rizzi. <laughs> okay. Now, do
0: you tweet a lot?
1: I'm um, not that good at it, but I'm well, trying start to Start be. tweeting, because okay. people love
0: tweeting. And you know, okay. you tweet to celebrities, and they'll like your cause. Okay. Yeah. So I want to <laughs> thank her. Just go, people, go to Indiegogo.com and uh, look up Blindsided. Check out our podcast. You have the website, JeanetteRizzi.com. Yes, Rizzi.com.
1: JeanetteRizzi.com,
0: Yeah, And it says G J E A N N E T T E. And then the Rizzi's easy. easy So I want to thank you. Also, people go to my website, coopertalk.net. Uh, I just put up uh, today, I'll put up my 290th episode on there. And also, you can send me an email. I have a new me- email address. It's cooper at coopertalk.net. We had some changing here. Um, what else is going on? Twitter. Follow me at coopertalk. I tweet a lot, especially now that it's football season and people like craps, pieces of crap like Ray Rice are out there. I tweet a lot. Um, what else? Where can you find my show? Besides my website, you can go to Stitcher or itunes type in one word cooper talk and all my episodes are up there if you have an android tablet or phone type in go go to the google play store type in cooper talk and once again you get my app also it's supposed to happen very soon you're gonna be you're gonna be finding me on iHeartRadio, so that's what you can do you can check me out there but keep listening and yeah please um tell people hello be nice to people don't be a selfish dick, all right? Sit there because, as Jeanette said, one little word can really change people's lives. And, you know, people go, we all go through depression. And, you know, you don't want people to get too depressed where they kill themselves because, you know, it's just, it's, it's a hard thing to deal with. So go, please, go donate to her, Indiegogo, Blindsided. Listen to her show, which she had Joanne on, which was very nice of her. You did uh, a
1: great job. Yeah,
0: and that's very great. So I'm going to thank you so much for coming on. Thank
1: you for having so, me. Thank,
0: thank you for listening, people. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vitamins. Take your vegetables. I screwed it up. I'm out of (laughs) here.